Good morning, everyone. If you would like to, in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be there this morning. We are starting a new preaching series today, which, thank you, I am also excited about. We are heading into the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to be here until the end of February next year. So, get comfy. Um, I'm just going to pray before we get going and ask God to bless our time together on this adventure. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are faithful and generous and merciful. We thank you that you are, you're just so good. We thank you that you're a great giver. And we thank you that you have invited us to share in, in you, into your relationship, your love that you have, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we have your life flowing within us as your children. And I pray that as we head into this amazing section of Scripture, I pray that over these months you would ignite within us a new hunger and passion for Jesus. A new hunger to live lives, just as Motti was encouraging us a few weeks ago, to live holy lives for you. But that we would know that, Lord, it is who you are and what you have done for us that makes all the difference. It is not who we are. It is not what we've done. We, we sing and we boast and we worship in you. And so I just pray you would bless our time. And we pray, therefore, this is not just merely a human exercise that we're going through. This is a spiritual thing. Your word is living and powerful. And it's truth. And I pray that as we unpack these three incredible chapters... Over the coming months, I pray that lives would be transformed because of the power of your word. And I pray there will be many testimonies of your favor and goodness. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say, come, breathe on us, we pray. Give us ears ears to hear and hearts to receive your truth. Amen. So we are going to spend this time in the Sermon on the Mount, and some of you are thinking, yikes, one sermon is bad enough, let alone a whole series of sermons on a mount, but bear with, it's going to be great fun. This is an incredible passage of scripture, probably some of Jesus' most remarkable, challenging, at one level confusing, topsy-turvy teaching that he gave to us, well, he gave it to his disciples, but he's given to us also in his word, and, and it's an amazing section of scripture. And if you've not read it before, I just want to encourage you over this coming week and over the next few weeks just to begin to read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and just begin to familiarize yourself with it, because that's where we're going to be. And this series of teaching um, is called the Sermon on the Mount, because that's probably where Jesus delivered much of his teaching, up on a mountainside, um, and... As with any revolutionary, as with anybody who comes and is looking to, to bring a new world order in, oftentimes they, they're seen like outlaws, and it's not uncommon for people to go and find somewhere safe while they gather and begin to proclaim what the change is. And in one sense, you could say that is partly what was happening with Jesus. Not that he was afraid, but that he was waiting. And he was waiting till he knew that the time was right to go and begin to um, really empower demonstrate his kingdom. 
And so this is a block of teaching. And Matthew, who wrote Matthew's gospel, Matthew the tax collector, he, he probably gathered together a whole series of collections of Jesus' teaching. This probably wasn't delivered in just one long block of teaching, these next three chapters. It may have been, but it's probably that Matthew's gathered together teaching of Jesus and, and collated it very carefully and said, look, I want to I give you some of what Jesus is teaching about what the kingdom looks like. And so Jesus has just spent, um, in the previous chapters of Matthew Gospel, a while kind of telling people, the kingdom of heaven is here, repent. He's gathering his disciples. And now into this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes and he says, this is what it looks like when my kingdom comes and invades earth. It's primarily what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus is saying, I want you to understand that this teaching I'm giving you, I'm just telling you that when I'm king, and in my kingship, and in my rule and reign over earth, as my kingdom takes root in the life of my believers, this is going to be what you begin to see. This is my vision for life. And as we read through it over these coming weeks, and even this week as you engage with it, you'll begin to see that Jesus' values, his vision for life, is completely different to that of the world. And this is often called an upside-down kingdom. Because Jesus comes and he takes the things, as we'll see in a moment, the things that are held up and esteemed in the world, the things that people prize and are passionate about, the things that people boast in. And he says, people think those things are good. But I'm telling you, those things are foolish and not good. And I want to come and take the things that people think are crazy and ridiculous and the people that nobody likes, and I want to tell you that these things are good. And he comes and he brings this topsy-turvy kingdom. It's a bit like I was watching um, a video on YouTube a while back of a guy who, for some reason, made himself a bike that when you steer right, it goes left. And when you steer left, it goes right. And so whenever he, whenever he comes to a corner, he, he had to steer the opposite way to be able to go around the corner correctly. And it took him ages and ages to, to get used to being trained. His brain, his body was not trained. And he, it took him months to be able to ride this bike properly. And he takes his lecture and he takes it to universities when he's doing his lectures. And, he, and people kind of sit there and see him riding and they think, I could do that first time. And he said, not, in all the times he's done this, never has anybody been able to ride this bike. And everybody, all these young guys that think I could ride that, get up on the stage and try to ride this bike and they fall off immediately. And then he said, the weirdest thing is, when he went back to riding a normal bike, he couldn't ride a normal bike. Isn't that strange? But this is a bit like the kingdom of Jesus as it comes and Jesus is basically saying in this, in this section on the Sermon of the Mount, the kingdom of God is here because I have come. And in my coming, everything that you thought was left is now right. Everything that you thought right is now left. Everything you thought was up is now down, and down is up. And I'm bringing this kingdom come, and it's turning everything inside out. And this is what Jesus is doing in this great bit of teaching. And it is hugely challenging. It's hugely hugely challenging to people of faith who follow Jesus and love him. It's hugely challenging to people who don't follow Jesus but as we will see, it is a, it's a kingdom. Jesus is painting this picture of a kingdom where there are no privileged members. There's nobody who's more privileged in Jesus' kingdom than anyone else. And so whoever you are this morning, whatever, you, whatever your position you're in in life, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're living in good times or struggling and, and life's hard and living in sorrow, Jesus says, my kingdom is for you. Everyone is invited, as we will see. 
everyone is invited into this kingdom. So just before we get going, I want to give three warnings about this block of teaching, this Sermon on the Mount, three cautions about how we could easily misinterpret what it is that Jesus is doing in this teaching. The first one is we could treat this block of teaching as an idealistic thing. So we're back in party conference season. (laughs) Ian and Faye are busy. And we have... I'm not mocking our politicians, by the way, but we have many politicians who, over the last couple of months and over the next couple of months, will be saying, here's my manifesto. This is my vision for what our nation will look like if you elect me as your prime minister. And that's a great thing. That's not a bad thing at all. And they give a vision for life. And some of those promises they'll be able to deliver, and some of them they won't. And in this sense, Jesus comes and he says, I'm giving you my vision for life. But unlike politicians who can deliver on some things and then are unable to deliver on others, Jesus is delivering on all of these things. And if we're not careful, we can hear this as just an idealistic, oh, we've heard leaders promise all kinds of things before, but that's that's too good to be true. No, with Jesus, what he says, he means. He means what he says. And we're going to encounter this a lot over the Sermon on the Mount. There's points in Jesus' teaching where the temptation is to go, oh, surely he doesn't really mean that. Surely, surely grace, now we've got grace, and Jesus is just kind of talking, but now we've got grace, and no, right through this whole block of teaching, Jesus means what he says. And that can be hugely challenging. And so this is not merely idealism. As we hear this, we're to say, no, this is Jesus' vision for life, and this is what is happening, and this is what it will look like in the future and into eternity. That's a challenge for us. The second warning is moralism. We can hear this block of teaching and we can think it's just about our behavior. We can think it's merely about our behavior. Oh, Jesus is telling I have to behave like this, 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 and this. A to-do list, if you like. A moral to-do list. And the reason I'm concerned about this is because religious people are in danger of hearing this kind of teaching and thinking, that's what I have to do. A do attitude, as I heard earlier this week, rather than a be attitude. Something I need to do. Something I need to concern myself with and get busy doing to earn the favor of God. Jesus compared the Pharisees to a whitewashed tomb. And he said to them, you Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. In that the outside of, you, of your life is all painted, it's nice and white and bright and it, and it looks so good, but inside there's rotting, decaying flesh. There's death, the stench of death. And religious people are concerned about the outward appearance. And we can hear something like this teaching of Jesus and we say, oh yeah, I've got to make sure I look like that. While inside we can be rotting and decaying. And religious people are prone to that. And I, I say that not, I'm accusing anybody of being religious, so I think... We have to be really humble before God with that and say, God, help me to see my heart. But at the same time, Jesus says, I'm I'm about your heart primarily. I want to bring an inward transformation. I want to give you a new heart. And and love and behavior and obedience, that will follow as you love God. So this is not a new set of morals that we just have to do. So just be aware of what's going off in your heart as we're going through this. And then just linked with that, the other caution I want to give us is, is don't think, okay, as, 
as we get hold of Jesus' vision for life and, and say, wouldn't that be amazing if that really did begin to define our community in increasing measure? Don't make the mistake of thinking, I do it to earn God's favor. I do it so that he's pleased. I do it so that he loves me more. I do it so that his kingdom might come more. God is not your boss. He is your loving heavenly father. This is not, uh, Jesus is not giving you a to-do list to say, do this and then you'll earn God's favor. He's saying, if you're in me, if you love me, if you follow me, you have the favor of God in you and these things begin to define your life. They're what flows from a life and a heart that loves God. Jesus is here to transform the lives of his people so that they can truly love God, love their neighbor, and love their enemy. And this is what we're going to get to grips with, just as we've been over these few months really um, engaging with God and calling us to pursue his kingdom. This, This teaching of scripture kind of, it begins to say, okay, what does it look like for us to live as citizens in God's kingdom? What does it look like? What should our lives, what kind of shape should they take? And this is really Jesus saying, the citizens in my kingdom, life will look like this. So today, we're going to start in the first 11 verses, which is called the Beatitudes. And really that word just means the blessings. Jesus comes and he pronounces blessings on people. And before we just read, I just want to make sure that we don't think of blessings as this anemic word. Oh, the blessed. I bless you. A true bless you. Jesus announces blessings. And this word is far from anemic. I, to make the point, I want to go the other way and say there are points in the Gospels when Jesus announces woes on people and woes on city. And woe is a judgment. It's not just like, whoa, their horse, slow up. It's a, it's a judgment. And Jesus comes at different points in the Gospels and he, pro- he proclaims woes into certain groups of people And on certain cities. And if Jesus says woe to you, that is a fearful place to be. He announces woes to Bethsaida, Chorazan, and Capernaum. Was that the other one? In Matthew 11. And not that long later, a few centuries later, because of an earthquake lightly, those cities crumbled. God announced, Jesus announced woes, and they were destroyed. It's a judgment of God. And a judgment of God is a fearful place to be. But then you you flip that over and when Jesus says, I'm blessing you, I'm saying blessed are those, as we'll see in just a moment. He's saying, I'm not just saying, oh, you're a good old guy. You're a good girl. It's great that we can kind of be friends. He's he's talking about the richness of life and the satisfaction and the hunger of the human heart and joy-filled, peace-filled, life-filled lives of people who he pronounces blessings on. It's not this anemic thing. I just want to make that clear because otherwise we just go through and think, Yeah, so what? Now, as Jesus says, blessed are, this is amazing. This is the blessing of God. This is God saying, I want you to look, I want you to see that I am a God who loves to bless and shower my favor upon people. So, Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, when the crowds, sorry, now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's an amazing piece of scripture. Amazing. And even just as we're reading, I hope you begin to kind of see, really? This is not what we think of when we think of the blessed life. We don't think of those kind of people as being blessed. And we can straight from the outset see Jesus coming and he's saying, look, I want to tell you what it looks like for my kingdom to invade earth. And we suddenly see, gosh, it already looks like the values of Jesus' kingdom. The people who are it, as opposed to those who aren't it, suddenly look like he looks, he's attracted to very different people. Jesus is simply saying that the blessed life, those who are blessed, are those who are truly filled with joy and peace and satisfied, those who are flourishing and thriving in life, he's saying, in my kingdom, it looks like those who are brokenhearted. In my kingdom, it looks like those who are fleeing terrorism. In my kingdom, it looks like those who are laden with debt and poverty and could do nothing to get out of it themselves. In my kingdom, it looks like those who are peacemakers, not war makers, the ones who are blessed. And Jesus is saying, because I am here now bringing my kingdom, because I am here proclaiming my kingdom is here, there's this huge reversal that has taken place. And new people will be blessed in my kingdom. You see, our culture has its own beatitudes, if you like. It has its own set of blessings, doesn't it? We, we say, blessed are the celebrities. For theirs is the looks, the influence, the money, the power, and we worship them. I was in um, Westfield Shopping Centre in West London the other week, and I was just walking through to the car park, and it is like walking through a temple of worship. Huge, 20, 30, 40 foot high posters of, of these idols that people worship and say, oh, if I could look like them. Oh, if I could have what they have. Oh, if I could afford those clothes. Oh, if I could afford to book that holiday and buy that thing that these people have and bring it into my home, then I would have the blessed life. Then I would, then I would be blessed. And, and in, our, in our world, we think like that. Blessed are the politicians because they're the ones who get to set what is and what isn't in terms of law. Blessed are those with money and wealth. God clearly favours them. They've got dealt a good hand in life. They must be blessed. Blessed are those with the good looks. Blessed are those with all the friends and, and just life looks so merry and fun and it's just one good party. Blessed are those who do whatever they want with their body without worrying about it at all. They've got freedom and they can just do whatever they want and they're blessed. And we have all of these kind of 
blessings. You only have to go to, to WH Smith's and look at the magazine rack. And you see, the, you see the types of life that people think is blessed. It is, it's just a, a smorgasbord of blessed worldly ideas. And Jesus comes and he says, those things aren't blessed. The things that you look at and go, oh, if only I could. If only I could have that holiday, that house, that car, that wife, that dog, that... Don't get a dog, they're awful. If only... <laughs> oh, that's a story for another day. And Jesus says, I don't want you to hold those things up and think those things are blessed. He says, I want you to look at the broken. Those with humility. Those who stoop low. Those who are under persecution. And I want you to esteem those things. Because my father esteems those things. I want you to love and prize those things. Because the kingdom of heaven prizes people such as that. And one by one, Jesus takes the the things that the world, the things that you and I can easily esteem. And don't say, don't be all religious for a moment and pretend you don't esteem them. Who doesn't want a nice car? Who doesn't want to go on amazing holidays? They're not wrong. I'm not even saying they're wrong. Please don't feel bad if you've got a nice car. Great. Fantastic. God's blessed you with that. But if you hold that up for your vision for life and, and pursue it as though that is what a blessed life looks like, then Jesus says there's a huge problem there. And one by one, Jesus gets hold of the values of our world and he turns them on the head. And he says, you thought, you thought the good life was like this, but I tell you, the good life looks like this. It's amazing, isn't it? Our, our world, it, it never celebrates the meek. It doesn't hold them up. It doesn't put them on 40-foot posters in Westfield Shopping Center and say, look, a peacemaker. They're blessed. It doesn't celebrate the things that God celebrates. But Jesus didn't come and merely say these things. He lived them out too. And in that way, he is not just like a politician. And I, I find it fascinating that whenever there's a, a, dis, a, sorry, a, a disaster moment of any kind, and the question is, what day, should the, what day should the prime minister or president or king or whoever arrive on the scene and show that they're with the people? Get it too early and you're in the way. Get it too late and all oh, you don't care. And man, they're rocking a hard place for those guys. But where they struggle to live their message... Jesus lived out his message extraordinarily. Jesus didn't just say these things. He didn't just say, right, I'm telling you what it looks like. Now you guys go and do it. He began to live it and model it. And, and we see, don't we, as we look through the Gospels, that Jesus is attracted to broken, weak, hurting, mourning, vulnerable people, the poor, those with diseases, the oddballs and misfits. He's attracted to the people who've ripped people off. Those who've failed on their marriages, not even just one time, but five times. He's attracted to people who sell their body for money. He's attracted to those kind of people and, he, and he's drawn towards them. And Jesus, he simply says, I love these people. My kingdom's come. These people are blessed. I love them. I love them. I want to be with them. And when Jesus encounters the rich in the eyes of the world, those who are rich and esteemed and those with the power and those who are religious, he's pretty good at bringing them down a peg or two. He does quite a good job of doing that. 
And so this is, this is just the start of Jesus' teaching. This is not, he's not at this point saying, I want you to now do these things. He's not even saying, I want you to become persecuted. I want you to become poor in spirit. I want you to become, we need to be poor in spirit. But it's not a to-do list. Jesus is describing what life in his kingdom looks like here. Those who think they're sorted. Those who think they don't need God. Whether that's religious or just indifferent to him. Jesus comes and he says, look, that does not fit the kingdom. This is why the kingdom of God is good news. If you're here this morning and you're broken inside and you're hurting, whether it's mental health or a life situation, whether it's financially or or whatever it is, and if you're struggling just in life at the moment, this is why the kingdom of God is good news to you. Because Jesus says, you know that you're already poor in spirit. You know that you're already needing my help. It's why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, because they have to go, hey, This counts for nothing in the kingdom of heaven. This wealth, it doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It doesn't mean that, oh, God must be impressed with me. It means, no, if if you've got wealth, you have to humble yourself before God. You have to go low. It's only those who don't think that they're sorted, those on the margins, those who know that they're in desperate need of God's rescue and salvation. Jesus says, it's those kind of people that are blessed. That's what the blessed life looks like. Those who know that they're in desperate need of God. It is not about material wealth. You see, you can be poor financially and yet rich spiritually. That's what, that's what it's saying when Jesus says, says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He's not just talking about finances. Not material wealth. Although that is included in it. But he says, you can be poor and know that you're blessed. You can be fleeing your nation because of persecution and know that you are blessed. Jesus is saying you can be burying your child and know that you are blessed. And we see this in the life of Jesus. So so let's just take some of them. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus spends the the next three years of his ministry and he goes and he spends his time with the poor. He goes and lifts them up. He goes and brings joy into their life. Broken-hearted people. People whose life has just fallen apart. People who the world tramples over. Jesus comes and he lifts them up. He elevates them. And so you see, the, the, the prostitute who comes into the dinner party that Jesus has been invited to. And in front of all of these religious elites, she comes in and she knows she's broken. She knows she's not invited there. And yet she comes and pours out her life on Jesus. And she says, I just want to be in your presence. I know I'm not invited. I know just by my being here, I'm making these people spiritually unclean, but I need you. And Jesus lifts her up and says, I love you. I love your faith. This is what, this woman is blessed. You other guys, in your religious pretense, in your whitewashed lives where you're decaying on the inside, you've missed the point. But this woman's got it. She's blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All through the Gospels, Jesus spent a lot of time at funerals. He seemed to enjoy going to funerals. And in that, he's saying, I I love to stand alongside those who are sad and mourning. Those who are grieving in life. Those who, who suffered loss in life. He loves to stand alongside. 
He loves to, but he doesn't just stand alongside. He's the one who, who raises people from the dead. He's the one who, who brings blessedness in life because not only does he just grieve with those who mourn, but he is the answer. And he brings life even into the most tragic of circumstances. Jesus brought joy. And you know, the, the amazing thing about the Christian life is in the world, we often think that laughter and blessedness go together. And we can, we can understand that. We say, yeah, when, when life's good and when there's joy in your life, then you're blessed. But in the Christian life, it's actually, that's true. But also it's true that when you're mourning, mourning and blessedness also go together. Meekness and blessedness go together. And rather than have to try and become something, the point is you say, I am nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Yet in him, I am blessed. And isn't it true? I just, when I speak to people facing all kinds of different situations in, in Gateway, and people are saying, man, life is tough. Life is hard. But I have God in me. I have joy and hope. And they're describing that blessedness. They're saying, I'm going through this rubbish situation that I would never choose to. I would never choose this kind of thing for myself. But in the midst of it, I'm discovering that God has blessed me. And some of these situations are huge situations. Massive situations. And, and, and our story, our testimony is just talk to different people and say, tell me your story. Right across this room right now, there are people whose story is life is, but God is good. His favor is upon me. And somehow, even in the hardness of life right now, I can still worship him. And I still know that I have the favor and love of God upon me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those who have humility and are humble. Hey, the world says, blessed are the proud and arrogant and the upstarts. Blessed are the go-getters, those who can make it happen. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the meek. And he doesn't mean people who get walked over like a rug. That's not his point. But people who live with humility. He, Jesus, Jesus says that he gives grace to those, but he opposes those who are proud. Jesus loves these kind of people. Jesus himself humbled himself. He became a servant. He didn't come to, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve us and love us, even to death upon a cross. Jesus humbled himself. Hey, we need to humble ourselves. I don't know, I haven't seen Trump humble himself recently. Our world is full of posturing hearts, posturing characters. How big is your chest, Donald Trump? How big is your ch- chest, Kim Jong? And it's, it's just this game in our world, isn't it, of posturing and pretense and bravado and, and my nuclear warhead's bigger than your nuclear warhead and it can go further and rain destruction on you and no, it can't, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. And, and so it goes on. And Jesus says, it's just a joke. <laughs> he says, you want to know what blessed life looks like? It's not those with the nuclear warheads. It's those who are serving in their communities, even where the nuclear warheads fall. He says, that's a blessed life. Jesus humbled himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus, in his ministry, he went around telling story after story of what this looks like. He went around and he described what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That those who say, oh God, I want to live a life of obedience. 
I want, your, I want your reign and your rule. And that's what it means for the kingdom of God to come. That, that Jesus reign, his, what it looks like for his kingdom to take root, begins to take root in our lives as his followers. And people who are passionate for his rule and reign in, them, in, in their lives. And Jesus says, blessed are those kind of people who hunger and thirst for right living with God. For lives of obedience. Not judgmental, critical religious spirits that point out the the speck in somebody else's eye where they're walking around as we see in a few weeks with a log in their own eye. Kind of going, oh, I see you've got a bit of dirt in your eye. Let me help you get it out. Jesus isn't impressed by those kinds of people. And we've got to be careful that we hear that and we think, right, yes. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. How dare you do, 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 do. Oh, you can't do that because don't you know we're Christians? Hey, we've, we've got to learn to love people. And be humble and say, hey, I'm, I know what it is to be a sinner. I know what it is to be broken. I know what it is to struggle in life. And, and, I, I don't, and you, if I was in your shoes, with what life looks like for you, I don't know how I would live life. I don't know where I'd be at that moment. But I want to tell you that God loves you and I love you. And I want to tell you that actually there are things that, that aren't, God hasn't designed for life. In relation to the way we spend our money, in the relation in, to the way that we use our bodies, or how we view marriage, for example. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be both humble and loving righteousness. Not humble to the point that you say, oh, I better not say anything. I better not offend people. I better not tell them that actually I think God has a different way of living that he's designed for us. But humble in the sense of because I'm humble, I want to live a life of righteousness. And because I'm righteous and want to see those things, I want to live out humility to love and demonstrate what a life of righteousness looks like. And Jesus is saying, it's not please be one of either this person or this person. He's saying, no, be meek and hungry for righteousness. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And he went around telling stories of what merciful people look like. He told the story of the running father who ran to his long lost son who just basically said to his father, I hate you. I wish you were dead. And Jesus tells this story of a father who when he sees his son, he runs to him. He's saying that kind of person is blessed. Or the good Samaritan who sees a guy injured, beaten on the side of a road, almost dying. And others walk past and go, I'm not, I'm not crossing the road. I'm not going to do that. He's not for me. And then the good Samaritan who comes and picks up and cares for back to life. And Jesus says, these people are blessed. Just for time, I'm going to jump down. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not those who who profess one thing and then live a different kind of life. But those who, who on the inside are what they are on the outside. Those who don't have pretense. Those who don't just... Go around hoping that people think they're more religious than they really are. More sorted than they really are. Jesus loves people who are just, what you see is what you get. He loves that kind of person. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. How's your walk with Jesus? It's amazing. Hey, what were you doing last night? I was drunk down the pub. But I'm not going to tell you that. Jesus loves peacemakers. Jesus was a peacemaker. Our world is full of war makers, as we know. But Jesus loves peacemakers. And then Jesus says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, because of righteousness, he died on a cross, but in doing so, he inherited the kingdom. That's why Jesus went around teaching that if you follow me, you need to take up your cross and die to yourself. You cannot follow Jesus and it be an easy ride. It is hugely costly. You have to die to yourself. And Jesus says, he basically goes through all of these eight statements of saying, the blessed life looks like this. The blessed life is this kind of person. And then he comes to the ninth beatitude, and it's got a different structure to the others. And rather than saying, blessed are those who, he says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus says, when you are persecuted, you are blessed. And in our nation, we can often think that persecution looks like it does in other nations, where people are, where they lose their life and livelihood and homes because of being a follower of Jesus. But Jesus says, even when people insult you, And mock you for being a follower of Jesus. Whether that's in the workplace. Whether that's in in your family. And just even the small comments people make. Hey, that's persecution, by the way. I'm not saying it's as extreme. Sorry. I'm not saying it's as extreme as losing your head. Because you follow Jesus. But nonetheless, it's persecution. And in our culture, we can often think persecution happens out in other countries. Or you're persecuted on your view of of what marriage looks like and how God's designed it. And you say, no, I want to remain faithful to the Bible and how it teaches us that marriage and the place of marriage and and how that works. And people say, you're an idiot if you believe that. Hey, Jesus says, when you make a stand for him and people insult you, then you're blessed. And yes, when people use physical violence against you, you're blessed. And also when people lie against you in the workplace because they've got something against you because you're a follower of Jesus and they just can't stand to be around you. And they begin to lie and set up scenarios to hopefully make you lose your job. And Jesus says, do you know what? In that moment, remember that you're blessed. Jesus comes and he turns life upside down. And we are to know that in Christ, we are blessed. Now, danger is with something like this, we, it can so quickly go, okay, what do I now do? What do I do in light of Jesus saying, look, this group of people are blessed. This kind of group of people, for them, the kingdom of heaven is here. It doesn't mean go, go out and, and just pester somebody with the gospel until they punch you in the face and go, yes, I got persecuted. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying. He's, he's, not, he's not describing, he's not, sorry, prescribing what you have to do. He's describing what life looks like in his kingdom. He's saying... The life of my followers, of my people, it begins to look like these kinds of things. This is what characterizes the life of people who follow me. Which is why in the early church, the people who were rich and powerful and the rulers, they despised Christianity. They saw it as a, as a religion, as a faith for, for slaves and women who in their world were outsiders in their context. And the broken and the marginalized. And they said, this is not for us, that's for those, those down there. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right, it is for those down there. Which is when the disciples, when when different people tried to get to Jesus. They tried to get hold of him, they tried to come and meet him. And the disciples were doing what they thought was right. Hey, let the rabbi through, don't don't get in his way, don't touch him. Hey, somebody touched me, power's gone from me. 
And Jesus says, I love you. Be healed. Or when children come to Jesus and the, and the disciples in all their cleverness go, get out of the way, you idiot. Come on. He's got much more important things. And Jesus says, no, I haven't got more important things. I'm here for them. They're blessed. And Jesus is simply saying this. This is not now what you have to do. This, de- this describes the life of those who are followers. This describes what the kingdom looks like. And it's simply this. Jesus is saying, I am now here and I am turning everything on its head. And the fancy word for this is eschatological reversal. Thank you. And basically he's saying, because, the, because I'm here, now the end times have started. Now the end is coming in because I am here. And because I am here and the end is coming, I want you to know that everything is getting turned on its head. The end is coming, but with the end coming, it's bringing a change, a reversal of the things that were up and now down, and the things that were down and now up. And Jesus is describing, I want you to see this. This is totally different kind of kingdom. This is the kind of thing we're to see in the church. And so we're to love one another, recognizing we've come from all different situations. All different walks of life. All different circumstances. It's why we should not and must not point the finger, but we love each other. It's why we go towards those who are different from us, because it's precisely what Jesus did. And he says, this is what it looks like in my kingdom. This is what it looks like in my family. And guys, if you struggle with it here on a Sunday morning, we're going to struggle to love people outside the walls. And you're going to struggle in eternity, by the way. We've got to put up with each other for eternity. And we are from different backgrounds. We're from different situations. And God says, yes, my people, my church, who I love. And he invites everyone to come and participate. But not because you think you've got it together. Not because you think you qualify, but because you realize, gosh, to be in God's kingdom, I need to understand that I am poor in spirit and I am desperate for him. So what do we do? We need to learn to receive the favor and blessing of God. We need to understand that for those of you who are here this morning, you are blessed and favored by God. Whether you feel like it or not, regardless of what life's like, you are blessed and favored. That is a truth over your life. This is not one of those now go, do, 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 do mornings. There is only one imperative, one thing to do in this section of scripture Listen to this. I wonder if the band could just come up for a moment. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. What do we do because of this new kingdom come that turns everything upside down? What do we do? We rejoice. We rejoice. So can I just invite us to stand for a moment? And I would love us to break bread. And we're just going to, just for a couple of moments, enjoy this blessed favor of God in our life. And we're going to break bread. And this is simply a meal that Christians share together. And that we take bread, representing that we're part of this one body, this one loaf. That we belong to Jesus. And then we drink the juice. And this juice says that I've been forgiven. I've been made righteous. I've been washed clean of my sin because of Jesus. And I'm just reminding myself and celebrating what Christ has done for me. And so we're going to just simply take this 
in the next couple of minutes. If you're here from another church, from a different denomination, you're welcome to come and share. What we do is we just go to the tables and help ourselves, and you can do it by yourself or go and find somebody and pray with them. You're welcome to share. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just ask you to sit this one out and observe? It's part of what we do as those who follow Jesus. But at the same time, maybe this morning you would want to receive Jesus and say, I want to be, have this blessed life. I just, I want to read over us just as we go and begin to, please make your way if you want to begin to get communion. And just as the band start, I want to read over us this blessing and I want you to receive it yourself. Jesus says this to you this morning. Blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you for you will be comforted. Blessed are you because you will inherit the earth. Blessed are you for you will be filled. Blessed are you for you will be shown mercy. Blessed are you for you will see God. Blessed are you for you will be called children of God. Blessed are you Again, for yours is the kingdom. And blessed are you this morning. If you're here in Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, if you've said to him, I love you, I'm so thankful that you came and you humbled yourself even to death on a cross. And that now I have this amazing blessed life. If that's you this morning, Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. And Father, we thank you that you gave us your son and in the coming of his kingdom. Now, those who had nothing, those who weren't smart in the eyes of the world, those who weren't of noble standing or noble birth, like most of us in this room, those who come with not much at all, thank you that you've shown grace to us and mercy and you've lifted us up. And we say thank you, King Jesus. We love you. Thank you that you've blessed us. Thank you that we have the favor of God upon us. Amen.